So we're looking at the third in our series of Messianic Psalms, Psalm 22 this evening. And as others have said already, these are Psalms that in their first meaning speak of the experience of the psalmist. But they have a final and a fuller meaning as fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus, God's Messiah. As the Holy Spirit takes up the words of the psalmist and applies them in the New Testament to the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a relatively long psalm and we are going to have to be necessarily focused in the next just under 30 minutes. Um, So while we perhaps have license to consider the Lord's experience in the breadth of the whole psalm, we're going to be disciplined this evening uh, and mostly consider the times when the psalm is explicitly quoted in the New Testament. And in doing that, we know that we're on solid ground uh, and following the lead of the Holy Spirit as he moved the New Testament writers, because it is in the New Testament quotations of the psalm that we see it validated as a messianic psalm and not simply our own whims. Um, But let's read it all to start with um, because God's word should have its place. Um, Psalm 22, please. For the choir director upon the hind of the morning, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and we're not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look They stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. 
Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. I will tell your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. For you, from you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him, even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. It is a psalm of David for the choir master upon the hind of the morning. That's a bit cryptic to us, isn't it? Um, People have different views on it. It might refer to a piece of music called the hind of the morning. It may also reflect something of the content of the psalm. A hind, a deer, fleeing the hunter in search of food and water maybe. And the morning coming, the rising of the sun, bringing deliverance and peace. The psalm brings us through some of the deepest depths of scripture, which we're going to look at together. And through to the other side, into the deliverance of God. The morning breaks at last, and there's peace. But it's a very stark beginning. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was, in some sense, David's experience. I want to speak very briefly about that before we move on to thinking about the Lord Jesus. David is expressing his own experience of feeling abandoned by God. Not just that he's surrounded by his enemies, which he often was. Not just that his body is in pain, which I'm sure he often experienced as a man of war. But beyond that, into a dark place where he questions whether God hears him or whether he's somehow too far away to help. As you go through the sand, the picture is painted of his oppressors and it's a brutal picture. They're described in the language of wild animals, lions, bulls, dogs, encircling him and hurling their verbal and their physical abuse at him. There's a sense too that this psalm is voicing the experience of Israel at times in their past. And Jewish interpreters of the psalm have said that it has been interpreted 
through the lands of Israel going into exile and the sense of abandonment that they felt in that. Why had God forsaken them? That may be, but the author is David and it is David who feels that abandonment in the first instance. It's important to recognise though that David's relationship with God goes deep. He is not a man tossed here and there with shallow roots that can be torn up. He is not superficial in his experience of God. And so even in his expression of perceived abandonment, David's words are shot through with trust and with hope. They sit together in this psalm. And so you see, he says, my God. That's very telling. David was sure of that. Whether God had forsaken him or not, he is still David's God. David recounts the deliverance of Israel, as Lindsay did in his prayer, in the past by God, in verses 4 and 5, reminding himself that God acts in history and he can do it again. There's hope there. He recognises God's intimate knowledge of him from his mother's womb in verse 9 and 10. God is all-knowing. There's hope there. And his hope that God delivers is running through this psalm. So that you get to verse 19 and he says, But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. He's never giving up. He's always looking to his God, to his deliverer, to the one who knows him intimately, even if he feels abandoned. Now verse 21 of the psalm seems to be a hinge on which the psalm swings from David's dark experience to the answer coming. And it comes when he's right on the brink. It comes when he's on the horns of the wild oxen. Can you picture that? He is on the horns of the wild oxen, on the horns of the enemy. But suddenly, you answer me. The NASB translates that best. Um, In the Hebrew, the last part of verse 21 breaks off in the middle of the prayer. And he simply says, you have heard. I'm on the horns of the wild oxen. And there's a break, you have heard. And light comes flooding in to the psalm from that moment on. And praise to God is the theme that fills David's heart in his experience of being delivered from the horns of the wild oxen. And for the remainder of the psalm, we enjoy that. Of course, this is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament, and that's where we're going to go now. It's a psalm that brings us squarely before the cross. And it doesn't shy away from the sufferings and the brutality of that place. There are no known events in David's life that really fit the content of this psalm in its fullness. In fact, what David is describing is more like an execution 
than anything he personally experienced. And in the writing of this, the Spirit of God had in mind the one who was to come after David. And I want to tread very carefully tonight in all of this as we go to the cross because it's the centre point of God's plans and it's the place of deep sufferings of our Saviour. And what we're going to read in the New Testament is enhanced and it's flavoured, if I can use that expression, by the deep and the dark words of suffering in Psalm 22 as we lay the passages beside each other. Can we go to Matthew 27? Please. And we're going to read from verse 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he delights in him. For he said, I am the son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Now, from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there who heard it began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Verse 35 of Matthew 27. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. When they had crucified him, the gospel writers are so careful and so sparing with their words at Calvary. And in many ways, Psalm 22 gives us an insight into the Lord's experience written in the first person that the Gospels don't. And there's good reason why they don't, of course. But that's part of why Psalm 22 is so precious to us. 
<laughs> we see into the Lord's experience in a way that we wouldn't otherwise. The psalm says they divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. A sign that the soldiers considered him as good as dead. So they divided up his garments among them, his last possessions. The creator of all things stripped here in humility. And men were callous in their dismissal of him and eager to take what was his. Verse 39 of Matthew 27. Onlookers wagging their heads and hurling abuse. Psalm 22 says, All who see me sneer at me, they separate with the lip, they wag the head. And we see that David's experience was that they were shaking their heads and hurling abuse at him because of his faith. Because of his trust that his God would deliver him. So they said, if God really delights in him, let him rescue him. They were mocking David because the chances of his deliverance seemed so remote, so implausible. And now we come to the cross. Those who were just walking by, it says we're hurling abuse of the Lord Jesus. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So hateful and hurtful and full of ignorance. Aimed at the one who had done no wrong. And who had gone about doing good and healing and teaching and enacting the love and justice that are consistent with the kingdom of God. And something really remarkable, I think, happens in verse 41 of Matthew 27. It says, in the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him. The leaders, those in a position of power and privilege, the gatekeepers of sacred things in Israel, in the same way they were mocking him and they said he saved others he can't save himself he's the king of Israel let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him and this is what really gets me whether knowingly or unknowingly and I think it's the latter they quoted Psalm 22 he trusts God let him rescue him now if he delights in him Here were men who in their unbridled abuse of the Lord Jesus Christ, in their attempts to belittle him, were actually quoting and fulfilling scripture without realising it. What an amazing thing. Their assumption, of course, in saying those words was that God didn't delight in him. That's what they thought. That's why... He found himself in the place he was, surely. The place of the cursed. Hanging on a tree. Couldn't be God's Christ. It's reminiscent of Isaiah 53. The words prophetically of Israel. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. The NLT has that. 
We thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. And they couldn't have been further from the truth. We know, of course, that God delighted in his son. On more than one occasion, he said it from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And at the cross, the very moment when the leaders of Israel thought it proved that God was not pleased with him. The Lord Jesus was in the very centre of God's plan to reconcile the world to himself. God was supremely pleased with his son in everything he did. And especially in the work of atonement at Calvary. As the Lord Jesus offered himself there. And bore our sins in his body on the tree. And rather than the leaders of Israel being vindicated at the cross. God vindicated the Lord Jesus by raising him from the dead. That's what was really happening there. Now, the last quotation from Psalm 22 in Matthew 27 is in verse 46, uh, which quotes the opening verses of the psalm. Cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? I want to tread carefully here because we're right in the realm of what took place between God the Father and his Son at Calvary. The Lord Jesus perceived in the depth of his experience on the cross bearing our sin that he was alone, utterly alone. In a way we will never be and can't understand. Utterly alone. Up on a mountain, our Lord is alone. Without a family, friends or a home. Up on a mountain, our Lord is afraid. Carrying all the mistakes that we've made. Do you see where the mind of the Lord Jesus was in his suffering? Not primarily in the physical agony detailed in Psalm 22. Tim Keller has said that he didn't cry out, my hands, my hands, and he didn't cry out, my feet, my feet. He cried out, my God, my God. And that reveals his heart. It reveals his love. And it reveals his dedication to his Father and his God. My God. What took place in the darkness to bring those words of scripture from his mouth? What forsaking as he bore our sins? It's hidden from us in the darkness. I'm glad that it is. But maybe there's a glimpse in Zechariah 13 and 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man who's my fellow. The sword of God awakened at the cross as he bore our sins. Now there's another, I'm going to have to move quickly. There's another 
apparently clear reference to Calvary in Psalm 22 that isn't directly quoted in the New Testament, but I want to bring it in. And it's in verse 16 of Psalm 22 when David says, They pierced my hands and my feet. The Hebrew is very difficult there. Um, Though the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint translates it as, they pierced my hands and my feet. The Hebrew is more like, like a lion. They're at my hands and my feet. David is figuratively describing being mauled, being torn at by lions. That's the scene. Calvary and the Spirit uses the Septuagint still translated centuries before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ to crystallize that as they pierced my hands and my feet no corresponding event in the life of David but so full of significance in the light of the crucifixion of Messiah hark I hear the dull blow of a hammer swung low. They are nailing my Lord to the cross. And the cross they upraise while the multitude gaze on the blessed lamb of dark Calvary. Oh, it bows down my heart. And the teardrops will start when in memory that grey hill I see. For twas there on its side Jesus suffered and died to redeem a poor sinner like me. How they mock him in death to his last labouring breath while his friends sadly weep o'er the way but though lonely and faint still no word of complaint fell from him on the hillock of grey. We're thankful aren't we that whatever the experience of forsaking that the Lord Jesus endured on the cross he was able to say Father into your hands I commit my spirit the trust that the son had in his father is undiminished as his work of Cal- at Calvary is finished grasp that tonight I think that's beautiful after enduring the cross his trust in his father is undiminished and he trusted his father as he went into death commend my spirit into your hands what did he trust him for the answer trusted him for the answer just as David got his answer when he was on the horns of the wild oxen so the Lord Jesus was answered we go back to Hebrews 5 where Lindsay had us a fortnight ago he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying to the one who was able to save him out of death and he was heard the Lord Jesus went far beyond the horns of the wild oxen and into death but remember the cutting off of David's prayer in the Hebrew with the revelation you have heard the Lord Jesus was heard and God lifted him up out of death raised him and that brings us and I just want to finish on a high that brings us to another part of the psalm that's quoted in the New Testament. What I want to look at to finish in Hebrews 2. 
We'll read from verse 10. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. David's promise in Psalm 22 was that having been delivered by God, he would declare the name of God to the people and praise God in their midst. And those words are used too of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. That having been raised as the victor over sin and death and Satan, the Lord Jesus brings many with him to glory. We're among them. Those who have placed their trust for life in him. Those who are born of the same father and who he's not ashamed to call brothers. He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And his declaration to his Father is this. I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I'll sing your praise. Now one of the themes of the book of Hebrews is the corporate worship of the people of God as a holy priesthood. Under the great high priest, the Lord Jesus, who's opened up a new and living way into the presence of God the heavenly sanctuary, that we might ascend there in spirit and worship God in spirit and truth in the holy place in heaven. Never lose sight of the fact that we do that every Sunday morning in our corporate worship by faith. Hebrews 12 describes the scene. It's not visible to our eyes, but it's real nonetheless. The heavenly Jerusalem, myriads of angels, Old Testament saints, God, the judge of all, and Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And what I want to emphasize as I finish tonight is that when we ascend in spirit into God's presence on a Lord's Day morning, the Lord Jesus is there. And almost more than that, he's with us in it. In the midst of the congregation of heaven, and in the middle of us all, he is singing the praise of his Father. Enjoy that when we sing together on the Lord's Day morning. He's singing with us in the midst. There's a lot of material in Psalm 22. We've only just managed to touch a few things. But it's important to see the suffering of the Lord Jesus in all of the brutality and humiliation that's presented in Psalm 22 that we would seek to shy away from. But the psalm reveals it to us. And it's important to see it. And it's important to see him there. Because he endured that for us. But he's come through death to have the answer. You have heard. And back into life. And in his place in heaven. Now he's our great high priest singing the praise of his father. In the midst of the congregation.